Week eight, we got a jam-packed DFS slate. No teams on by. It is the Block Party DFS show with JM to win from one week season. We're going to go position by position. We're going to talk through this slate from all of the GPP angles so you guys can finish at the top of the leaderboards. Let's do it. Peter's one of the greatest depositors I've ever seen. Trust the process. Let's go. I got auto-match with Levitan. Bullshit. I just go. Hey everyone. Uh-oh, JM. The people were thinking we might have costumes for our pre-Halloween uh, show. Skull thought you might be <laughs> naked. Did we let everyone down? Uh, apparently. Let's start over. Let's do it again. Uh, last night, my, my wife was spray painting cardboard boxes for the formula one car she made to turn our, our kids wagon into. So uh, I could go get that and maybe put that on and um, didn't, make people didn't happy you say last year that your wife always kind of does the costumes homemade for your kids. Yeah. Yeah. And last year, my daughter who was, what was she almost two at the time? Uh, she refused to wear her monsters Inc boo costume. Uh, but, um, uh, my wife had done like the mop and spray painted the hair and put the eyes on it and everything. So we went out trick or treating and she was just wearing like a, a pink shirt and pants because <laughs> she decided she didn't want the costume, no costume. There you go. Yeah. All of these things that a year ago were very hard uh, for me to relate to. And I was just about 30 minutes ago at the park with April and uh, of course had to, had to leave to get here for the show. And she started crying when we left the park. And that was the first <laughs> time she was like, she's old enough to be like, I don't want to be done with these swings. So I'm sure her uh, having preferences on what she wears is very. Uh, yep. There you go. Yep. <laughs> um, let's dive into it. We always have a lot of ground to cover here. What we normally do is uh, a little look back to the previous week, um, some lessons we can learn. Then we'll do a macro slate overview for week eight, and then we'll go uh, through the positions and finish up with a lineup build on DraftKings where we use some of JM's favorite building blocks for week eight. But JM, let's start where we always do. Week seven, it feels like it's a blur at this point. I barely even remember what happened, but uh, how did week seven treat you? Yeah, it's hard for me to even remember what the what the like what stacked up in that week and why things ended up the way they did. Uh, it was a week where uh, I finished like way down in in money last week, but one of those weird weeks where I didn't really have things wrong so much as it I didn't have enough of the right things, and so I didn't give myself a chance for everything to line up. You know, I had like twenty percent of my rosters were Mahomes or Lamar. Uh, I had mostly Kelsey and Andrews on those. Uh, had a lot of other, you know, had um, second highest owned running back was Deontay Foreman. Highest owned was Jerome Ford, but it just didn't like the pieces didn't come together. I didn't, I didn't give myself enough shots at, um, at those guys who hit for the math to work in my favor. I also had like 30% of my money was tied to D Deshaun Watson. So um, once he went out with negative 0.8 points, I was like, well, I'm fighting an uphill battle to, to finish profitable today. Just takes one roster, but uh, didn't quite get there. Yeah, I was in a similar boat. I rolled out kind of a Seattle onslaught, you know, attacking all of that once DK Metcalf was ruled out. And so that game was very tilting. But one thing I was thinking about in retrospect that I always that always sticks with me when you write about Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, and now it's coming back to me. It was the elite QB tight end week last week. But you've always preached like when you're playing those guys, play them together because they're super high ceiling games are mega correlated. And boy, did we see that uh, in week seven? 
Yeah, and actually, I was thinking about you on Sunday afternoon because I, I pulled a lot more late swap than normal. Mm. And it was one of the rare times I did have some Kelsey without Mahomes because, and actually lowered my Cooper Cup exposure along the way because what I was thinking after the early games was, and I, I had a ton of Waller. I had actually Waller was my highest owned tight end, and he basically matched Mark Andrews' score. So that kind of evened out right there and, you know, didn't really give me that much of an edge, but I, I kept pace with the wall with the Andrews rosters. But it was like Andrews did so well, Waller did so well that any of my late rosters that had like a cheap tight end and Cooper Cup, it was like really what's my clearest path to first place would be for Kelsey to blow away what Waller and Andrews did. So pivoted right. down from from Cup's salary and then moved my cheap tight end up to Travis Kelsey. So uh, even with that, didn't quite you know come together. I had I had one roster that was really live. It had. Um, like 187 points at halftime with Mahomes, Kelsey, Tyler Lockett, Rasheed Rice, uh, like one other piece, and then kind of nothing happened in the second half. Uh, and that was in large field tournaments. So you really had to get, I had to get all the way up to kind of like first place with that one. Uh, and that was my closest shot at something really coming together. But yeah, we turned the page and um, get ready for, I mean, what the heck? 13 games. <laughs> no bias. <laughs> I opened up the slate on uh, on like Sunday night or Monday, and I was like, "Wait, what? Am I miscounting? What's going on here?" Uh, yeah, I'm not used to uh, 13 games in the middle of the season, but here we are. I know, I know all the uh, the content creators who do you know comprehensive game by game stuff have been all complaining in tandem this week. I uh, I pull up my buddy Pat Grain. He does the walkthrough, a terrific article, and he does a narration of that article. And I get it in my podcast feed this morning, and it's over four hours long. The narration <laughs> of this, I was like, holy cow! Uh, everyone's feeling it. You know here. what's funny is is when you when I used to write the NFL Edge. Once you get to like weeks five, six, seven, you kind of get in the groove of actually writing more content per game. Uh, and then that that syncs up because there are fewer games on the slate. So you you get in that groove and it's hard to break that. All of a sudden you've got a, a 13 game slate. It's only our second 13 game slate of the season because we had the double Monday night weeks and yeah. we had the, the London games and uh, we don't get many 13 game slates anymore. So yeah, very unique to have this in the middle middle of the season. Yeah, and I mean, the flip side of that is this is a, a super fun week. Um, you know, sometimes the term gets tr uh, thrown around like gross slate or not a lot of high-end options. I mean, I always kind of get my base for the slate now with these early underdog drafts, and it's like, man, there are good players in every round, lots of good players going undrafted, and now I'm really excited to see kind of how that funnels over to this DFS slate. We also have, you know, some actual games with shootout potential, it feels like, this week, plus multiple teams that are implied to score over 25 points. We got the Cowboys, we got the Dolphins, um, even like the Texans are, are getting close there in this nice matchup against the Panthers. So what is kind of your overview? I should mention the Eagles, of course, as well. What's your thought on kind of the slate dynamics on the whole? With 13 games, I don't know that I have a, a comprehensive definition the way that I typically would by this point in the week. But yeah, there's, there's, I mean, I'm looking at my list right now and you've got Hertz, you got Mahomes, you've got Lamar, but then you also have uh plug your ears if you don't like some of these guys, but uh, you've also got Sam Howell, you've got Desmond Ritter, you've got Mac Jones, you've got Derek Carr, you've got Sam Darnold. So there's so much that you can do from a roster construction standpoint, just based on 
where you're going at quarterback. Uh, and then, of course, you know, running back, you've got CMC at the top. You've got Etienne, Kamara. A lot of people like Pollard this week. You got sort of the mid range guys with Swift, Pacheco. And then you've also got, you know, uh, Bijan Robinson, obviously. Uh, I mean, uh, Bijan Robinson, Brees Hall in that same sort of price range. You got Ramondre Stevenson. You've got Damian Pierce, who I don't think people will play. We'll probably talk about him more deeper in the show. Uh, and even like Pierre Strong, all the way down at 4,300. So a lot you can do at running back and then same thing at wide receiver where, you know, you get below 5k and it starts to get thin. There's still some viable options down there as always, but um, just like a lot of guys like at the top, a lot of guys like in kind of that 6k range, a lot of guys like in the 5k range. Uh, so yeah, I think that there's like broad range of what we can do on this slate. And one of the things that Keegan and I were talking about this morning on the DFS lab show, we were just talking through like, how does Darnold fit into the slate and, and what does he do yeah. for the slate and all that? Like, Darnold is a really sharp play. Also, he's 4,300. And like Desmond Ritter is, is 5,100 and Mac Jones is 5K. Like, like you're not actually saving that much salary, but because Darnold is so obvious, like I, I said to Keegan, I expect Darnold to be like 12, 13% owned in large field play, but then like 17 to 20% owned in high dollar single entry stuff because he's a sharp enough play that people will, will just go there. But all of that is taking away ownership from some of these other guys who can also outscore Darnold. And so they're going to be even lower owned than they typically would be. So yeah, it just opens up a lot of, of really fun things on this week's slate. Yeah. The, we'll, let's, let's talk a little bit more about Darnold when we get into the QBs, because he's obviously going to be a big decision point. Um, are there any other games that kind of stand out to you? Um, you know, I kind of highlighted, we got these teams that are projected to win by a lot, like the Dolphins and the Eagles, but then you also have some of these kind of intriguing games. Like I, I really like this uh, Cowboys Rams game potentially here. Are any specific game environments uh, jumping out to you? Yeah, the I mean, there's a lot of games where you're like, oh, this could actually be higher scoring than people are looking at it being. You know, Washington has had all these shootouts this year. They're seven-point underdogs against the Eagles, but what was their last game against them was 34-31, to 31, I believe, in Philadelphia. So that game has shootout potential. Uh, the Browns are sort of this, like, hey, we're going to have all these. I mean, we've seen it for three years now where all of a sudden you have, like, two or three games for the Browns with, like, 38 to 42 or 36 to 42, right? You have two or three of those games every year for this Browns team. And we've had one of those again already this year. So uh, Browns and Seahawks is a little bit interesting. Uh, Bengals and 49ers is one of those where the 49ers implied total is lower than we typically see. And it was already lower even before the Brock Purdy stuff started coming out. But what if the 49ers score 30 plus points again? And then couldn't the Bengals keep pace? The Bengals coming off the bye. And then even this Texans and Panthers one where the Panthers coming off the bye, Thomas Brown's going to be calling plays starting this week. Uh, not a lot that they can change with the offense, but they can kind of change the rhythm of what they're doing there. And uh, that bye week can make a difference for young players, young teams. So wouldn't be a total shock if Texans and Panthers ended up being a little bit higher scoring than people are expected, expecting it to be. Uh, and then the last one I'll mention is the Colts are kind of this team where yeah. – like I, I'm looking at the Colts as a team that I'm going to stack every week, the rest of the season, just on like a small percentage of my rosters. You cannot run against Tennessee and they, they blew up on the ground against Tennessee. You cannot run against Baltimore. and They blew up on the ground against Baltimore. You cannot rack up yards against the Browns and they racked up a ton of yards against the Browns. And so uh, when I see something like that, what I look at it as is they're going to have these weeks where they bomb, 
but they're also going to have these weeks in bad matchups or where people aren't looking at them and they have a much bigger game than people are anticipating. So bad matchup doesn't look good on paper, and yet who knows what can happen. So I'll have a little bit of that offense as well. Yeah, I like the Colts are really interesting. I like Kyle's comment here. The Colts games are drunk. All of their games <laughs> feel very uh, abnormal right now. And they are weird. I was reading um, Pat Thorman's uh, pace column over at ETR, and he was talking about how, you know, they still kind of want to run the ball. And we saw a little bit of that carryover from kind of Zach Moss and where they were really leaning on the run game. But on the other hand, they're playing fast. They're, you know, top five in the league and how many plays they're getting off, how many plays they get off per second. You know, they're not dilly-dallying. And so that kind of play volume is carrying over and then speeding up all of these games. And then I do wonder, too, because they do seem to show a willingness now to increase Jonathan Taylor's workload, primarily in the passing game, too, if it's just like naturally kind of speeding up everything they do and making them maybe a little bit more pass forward um, than we initially would have envisioned with them. Yeah, and uh, this last week, the um, in a Nick Sirianni press conference, he was asked about early in the game against the Dolphins, they were playing kind of slower and taking more time off the play clock than normal. And they asked him, they said, was this a function of you trying to keep the Dolphins offense off the field? And Nick Sirianni said, I didn't even realize that was happening. That must have been a function of what the defense was showing and whatnot. He said, listen, we are never, ever going to be an offense that is just trying to keep the other team's offense off the field. We are an offense that's trying to hunt for explosive plays and score as many points as we can uh, and score a touchdown every drive that we have. And that same mindset is the Shane Steichen mindset over with the Colts where they are not, they're not like, hey, we're kind of a rebuilding team. And so let's just play these games close and ugly. They're like, hey, we're a rebuilding team. Let's take some shots and push the pace and put some pressure on the opponent and try to win these games. Uh, interesting setup because the Saints are about as boring of a team, as boring of an offense as you could possibly have. Uh, so yeah, it's a, that's an interesting setup between those two teams. But yeah, the Colts are an aggressive-minded team. And it's one thing with, you know, rewind back to last year when I said that Kenny Pickett plus George Pickens plus Deontay Johnson was going to win somebody a millimaker. And then two weeks later, I redacted that statement because it was like, no, this team literally just wants to play as conservatively as they can unless forced to do otherwise. Uh, the Colts are not that type of team. And because they have a roster where you might expect that and have been kind of that team in the past, uh, we can overlook the fact that this is a team that's like, no, no, let's push the pace. Let's be aggressive. Let's try to score points. Let's put pressure on the opponent, uh, which makes their games very interesting. Very drunk. Yes, uh, very drunk. You love to see it. Uh, all right, let's start with quarterback. And, and like you said, I do think Sam Darnold is probably the biggest decision point just because his price is you know kind of completely out there as far as standing out at 4300 he'll pop as the biggest value I guess the first question for you how big of a drop-off is Brock Purdy to Sam Darnold because we did see the line move in a in a way that would indicate the betting markets think it's a it's a pretty big drop-off but for fantasy purpose how do you how do you feel about it well it's funny because the that is like the topic of conversation is is Brock Purdy actually good or is he just functions right. well in uh, Kyle Shanahan's offense. Realistically, most quarterbacks under the age of 30, 31, 32, not named Patrick Mahomes, like they are a function of the offense, right? Like they operate really well because they're in a, in a system that they run really well. Um, so Sam Darnold, you know, lots of positive reports about him in training camp. He won that job over Trey Lance outright. He actually looked good with the Panthers last year. Kyle Shanahan really raved about Sam Darnold to a point where 49ers beat writers were kind of wondering if Sam Darnold was actually going to win the starting job over Brock Purdy. Uh, so there's a lot of unknowns here, but it won't surprise me if he steps in 
and runs it as well and as efficiently as Brock Purdy runs it. Um, so maybe, you know, like a couple ticks down, but you look through from a fantasy perspective, you look through Brock Purdy's game logs, it's the occasional like whatever 22 to 25 pointer and then a ton of like 17 to 18 to 20 point games. You look through Jimmy G's game logs, it's the same thing. Rarely going to see more than 30 pass attempts. Probably not going to see more than 30 pass attempts from Brock per, uh, from Sam Darnold this week. Uh, so it's more about, you know, can he distribute the football as this point guard in this offense? And absolutely he can. Uh, there are a lot of unknowns, but no, I'm not, I'm not seeing him as a significant drop-off from a fantasy production standpoint from Brock Purdy. Do you like the spot in general for the Niners, even kind of QB agnostic versus the Bengals at home? No, no. no. Uh, Brock, Brock Purdy was not on my list. And so that factors into my thinking as well. You know, the, the um, Bengals who have a, a really good pass defense, really good against alpha wide receivers, number one options. And so that makes it a little bit harder when you're, you know, 49ers have two number one options, but one of them is going to be missing from this game in Debo Samuel. So that makes it a little bit harder for you to have a, a game that really breaks through this matchup. And they've been really bad against Cincinnati's been really bad against the run this year against the 49ers team that wants to lean on the run already and is more incentivized to do so with Sam Darnold under center. So uh, no, I don't like the matchup, but in terms of how you allocate your salary, right? Like let's say that you want to go Patrick Mahomes. Well, in order to go Patrick Mahomes or Jalen Hurts or Lamar, you're probably going to need one of these 4K wide receivers. And among the 4K wide receivers, if, if you get like 15 points from Curtis Samuel or 16, 17 points from Rashid Shahid, you're like, dude, they had a really nice game at their price tag. Um, yeah. So when you kind of add what you get from the 4K wide receiver and the 8K quarterback versus the 4K quarterback and the 8K wide receiver, you know, you probably come out a little bit ahead more often than not with AJ Brown and Sam Darnold or Jamar Chase and Sam Darnold or however you put that roster together, uh, you probably come out a little bit ahead. So just in terms of what it does from a salary allocation standpoint, I think it still makes a lot of sense. But I mean, you know, I built a, a Desmond Ritter practice build last night. I say practice build, it went in, I ended up putting it into, into contests, but I built a Desmond Ritter practice build last night that had AJ Brown, uh, Christian McCaffrey, and Jamar Chase on it. So like you can you can do it, yeah. right? He's only 800 more than Sam Darnold. So Sam Darnold opens up a lot, but so does, and, and again, not to like harp on the Desmond Ritter thing, but three of the last six games, Ritter plus London has kept you at a 200 point pace. Uh, two out of seven games this year, uh, Mac Jones plus Kendrick Bourne, 192 point pace in one, 270 point pace in another. Uh, so there's other ways that you can go with kind of this, you know, pay down, quarterback option that doesn't have to be Sam Darnold. I'll have plenty of Sam Darnold, but I also like, I really like the fact that this is going to draw even more ownership away from these other uh, cheap guys who are still viable. Yeah. I think that's really uh, <clears throat> a sharp observation and just looking at kind of how the slate is kind of shaking up. You do have some plays at the top end. People are going to be excited to play Lamar. Uh, people are going to be excited to play Jalen Hurts, even Mahomes after what those guys did last week. It does look like there's maybe going to be a little more interest in the mid range this week. You know, Dak Prescott is projecting to be kind of popular in that game, but yeah, it does seem like those other non Darnold cheap quarterbacks are going to have a ton of cover and really fly under the radar. Uh, thoughts on some of those elite guys I mentioned uh, there. Do you have a favorite of the bunch? I would guess that Hertz is my favorite of the bunch. Um, he hasn't put up the monster game yet. And, and so it's easy to be like, oh, well, Lamar has done it. Mahomes has done it. Hertz hasn't. So I don't want Hertz. And yet Hertz has been the most consistent 
of this bunch, and we know what things look like against this Washington pass defense. Five different quarterbacks have thrown for 279-plus yards against them, including like Tyrod Taylor, and I, I don't even remember who the other ones are. It's like it's not a who's who of great quarterbacks. It's like Jalen Hurts and then four kind of mid-to-low-end mid, mid to low end quarterbacks throwing for 279-plus yards in this matchup. So uh, I, I definitely like Hurts in this spot. I mean, really, really like the Eagles offense in this spot, a pretty concentrated offense and eight all of a lot of AJ Brown and DeAndre Swift this week and then mix in some Dallas Goddard maybe a little bit of Devontae Smith uh plenty of Jalen Hurts but yeah no I mean all three of these guys are on my list this week Lamar and and Mahomes and Hurts uh but Hurts is my favorite of the bunch yeah yeah this this spot for the Eagles looks awesome and as people saw from the cover we do have AJ Brown on there we will talk about him when we get to wide receivers uh Robert wants us to talk people off Stroud I assume he's pushing his ulterior motives of wanting to play Stroud here under the radar he's someone that kind of jumped out to me I've been targeting him pretty heavily in underdog drafts um it seems like some of the pass catchers aren't going to be as sneaky as I would have hoped because of Robert Woods getting ruled out. So I do wonder if that funnels people more to this kind of clean spot here. You mentioned Damian Pierce at the top of the show. How are you kind of thinking about this spot for uh, for Houston here? Well, so I, I really like the Houston offense, obviously. it's not That's not going out on a limb to say that. The uh, Texans would like to be run-leaning. This is That's very much a function of, of this, this offense at its foundation is it wants to be run-leaning. Uh, Stroud, his last four games, two games of 30 pass attempts, one game of 27 pass attempts, uh, one game of 35. So those 40 plus pass attempt games were two losses early in the season where they were trailing the whole game. They threw the ball a ton, uh, against a Panthers team that faces the highest opponent rush play rate in the NFL. I've got Stroud penciled in for around 30 pass attempts, right? I'll be surprised if he gets up into like the 36, 38 pass attempt range. Uh, so your and then they do spread the ball around more than you would think, right? So you really like really Nico and Tank Dell, they they project if, if Stroud's throwing the ball 30 times, they project for like six to seven targets. So I'm probably not as high on this passing attack as some other people will be. Uh, I built a few practice rosters around this passing attack. So I'm not against it. But I do think that Damian Pierce, who's probably gonna come in sub three, sub four percent owned, is very interesting because you're talking about the softest run matchup in the NFL. And we know how much matchups matter. The NFL is a matchups league. And if you're game planning for this one, you're going to say, hey, let's let's see how we can exploit this run defense. Uh, interesting kind of setup here in that Damian Pierce was, was good last year, right? Everybody liked him. He was a fantasy darling. Uh, he's looked really bad this year, but what do we have? What's, what's, the, what's the cause of him looking bad? You've got a totally new run scheme with this, this outside zone run scheme that Bobby Slowick brought in. And that requires the offensive line to work really well together. And it requires the running back to read different points in the offensive line than what they're used to necessarily reading. And that's just something that Damian Pierce hasn't gotten yet, but they're coming off the bye week. So what do teams typically do during the bye? They, the first week of the bye, they self scout, they find how they can fix the things that they need to fix. So wouldn't be surprising if this is a spot where the Texans run game looks a lot better than it has earlier in the season. So then the biggest fear is, Damian Pierce last last Texans game was the first time that Devin Singletary played like close to the same number of snaps, had this close to the same number of carries. So is this a timeshare now? Well, teams don't typically just suddenly do that in the middle of the season so much as it's game plan specific. So we don't, I don't have any information on this. We don't have any information on this, but just in terms of how NFL teams operate, it's likelier than not 
the Devin Singletary's increased usage was game plan specific against that tough New Orleans front as opposed to, oh, this is a changing of, of the guards here. So uh, I think that Damian Pierce is, you know, he's not like a guy I'm going out of my way to play on 20% of my rosters or something, but if he's three, 4% owned, I'll be materially overweight the field on him just because it's an opportunity to, to take shots against this Panthers run defense um, with a guy who can rush for hundred yards and, and two, you know, he has a 20 carry game this year, 24 carry game this year. So yeah, I think he's a very interesting play at, at 5,300. Yeah, I think he'll be very low owned. People don't want to deal with the Singletary stuff. People like this spot for for Stroud and the value on Nico and Dell and and even Dalton Schultz. So I think Pierce is going to be uh, very sneaky, no matter how much we scream Damian Pierce's name from the mountaintops here. Um, before we fully move on to running back, any other quarterbacks you want to hit? You did kind of go through that list of cheapies down there that weren't Sam Darnold. Do you have a favorite of the bunch? of the non-Darnold punt guys, is it Desmond Ritter? It's probably, it's probably Desmond Ritter. <laughs> yeah. Is it because, um, I assume too, that attacking this Tennessee team through the air and kind of still saying, hey, maybe the Falcons aren't going to have as much success with their interior running game and they're going to be forced to, to throw a bit more. Is that part of it? Yeah, teams have been more willing to test the run against Tennessee this year than normal. Um, at the same time, Arthur Smith, all that time spent with Tennessee, Mike Brabel knows how Arthur Smith wants to run his offense. And the way you tie the hands behind the back of this Atlanta offense is taking away the rushing attack. And, you know, Desmond Ritter, it's it, all the turnovers, right? It's easy to laugh and make jokes. And then he was never like really, it wasn't a respected draft pick when he was taken. It was kind of like, well, there's no quarterbacks to take this year. So they took Desmond Ritter. Uh, so the biases toward him are there. And then the fumbles last week, the interceptions this year, but, you know, 250 passing yards last week, 307 the week before, 329 the week before. That's pretty wild for a guy who's 5,100 and, and nobody wants to play him. 38 rushing yards last week, 18 the week before, 10 the week before, another game with 39 rushing yards. So just think about that profile where, you know, you've got multiple games of, 35 plus rushing yards. You've got two of his last three games have been 300 passing yards taking on this Tennessee team that we always attack through the air. Uh, yeah. It's just an interesting situation to have a guy at potentially sub 1% owned. Um, like I said, three out of six weeks, he and Drake London have kept you on a 200 point pace. So um, yeah, I mean, he's not going to be our building block today, but I'm definitely going to have plenty of, of Ritter exposure uh, this week. And then, you know, the, I, I do think that the Mac Jones one among these other cheap quarterbacks is very interesting. Patriots are actually 11th in the NFL in drive success rate. Uh, Dolphins defense is, I think, 27th. So the Patriots have just been a function of like these turnover, these turnovers, these boneheaded mistakes, this, these bad game flows they've gotten themselves into. Uh, but the Patriots actually match up well against this Dolphins defense and should have to pass the ball. So uh, Mac Jones, another one who not going to get the rushing points that Ritter could get. But um, yeah, very interesting option this week. And even I'll say this one, even Bryce Young is interesting, right? Like people are going to be on Adam Thielen coming out of the bye. Would it shock us if Bryce Young has a solid game? There we go. Bryce Young seems like a sneaky tournament stack. So yeah, there's there's a few guys down here that on a week where Darnold's just going to suck all the attention. Um, and like I said, I like Darnold. I, I mean, Darnold's a really sharp play. And, and the fact that he that I expect him to be that much higher owned in the game changers, you know, the $1,500 single entry, Contest. I'll be surprised if he's under 15% in there. I won't be surprised if he's over 20%, uh, which just means like that tells you he's a sharp play, but also there are other sharp plays and Darnold could get 16 points. One of these guys could get 22 to 25 and um, just ends up being like a really nice way to gain an edge on the field. 
Yeah, I love that. Um, also, before we move on to the running backs here, a reminder, you guys can get 40% off. We still got that going with promo code Pete40. That'll get you 40% off uh, OWS, DFS, Inner Circle, and all access subs. So use that. If you do just want to do the one-week trial, you just want to dabble with some of the other stuff, you can use promo code Pete for 20% off. And uh, you know what, Jam? I just realized, too, I had a few people reach out to me because OWS, you guys are doing that uh, code where you gave all subs a chance to give it to a friend. And if multiple people have reached out to me being like, hey, if you want to give away uh, my code, I would love to support the show and all that. So why don't we do another comment giveaway today? Don't do it in the chat. I can't track the live chat. But when the show is over, leave a comment with who you think will be in the winning Millie Maker lineup. And then for everyone who is correct, we'll do a drawing. And I believe I have two or three of these codes that uh, people have sent me. So I will round those up and we'll yes. do a giveaway on Monday's show. Jam, anything else I'm forgetting about stuff going on at the site right now before we go to running backs? No, if you if you like the show, um, check out the site because you might like the site. And if it's not for you, you'll know pretty quickly. But again, uh, DFS is a strategy game. So our core focus is on helping you understand how to play DFS, obviously preparing you for the slate each week, but also um, making you a better DFS player, which is in my mind why we see so many OWS pennants at the top of the leaderboards every week is because uh, we've had so many users that have been training and DFS training year in and year out for multiple years and uh, I've become really good DFS players. So uh, yeah, check out the site. If it's not for you, you'll know it. If it is for you, you'll probably really like it. Uh, come hang with us on OWS. All right, let's talk about running backs. Like I said at the top, I mean, there are just so many ways to go this week. There's high-end plays. There's good plays in the fives. There's plays that have a lot of upside, but because of questionable tags or matchups are going to fly under the radar. So wh where do we even start here with this running back slate? I think we start at the top. We start at CMC. Uh, we talk a lot about George Kittle with no Debo Samuel. George Kittle... Um, three games over the last, since the start of 2021, uh, six games that Debo's been out, Kittle's played. And in three of those, Kittle's had 12 to 13 points, still doesn't kill you. In the other three, he's had 25, 33, and 42 points. Uh, kind of overlooked in that is Christian McCaffrey without Debo Samuel. So uh, Christian McCaffrey had that 50-pointer a couple of weeks ago. That's his best game with the 49ers. His second and third best games with the 49ers both came with Debo off the field. He had a 40-pointer last year, a 34-pointer last year. Uh, again, typically on this 49ers offense, McCaffrey hasn't been the 35 to 40-pointer that he was in like 2020 or 2019, whatever, with the Panthers. But when Debo's not on the field, like he gets a little bit of extra work, a little bit of extra work in the passing game and kind of boosts him up to that level. So instead of him being like the 26 to 28-point guy, he has a shot to be that 30 to 35 to 40 point guy. So yeah, I think Christian McCaffrey against a Bengals defense, it's still really stout against the pass and it's really struggled against the run this year. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, I think is, is very interesting. And then, yeah, there's, there's ETN and Kamara. I know a lot of people like Pollard. I probably won't be heavy on Pollard myself, though that could change. Uh, and then kind of the 6k, 6k guys, the 5k guys as well. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I'm seeing the position. Yeah, and it does seem like you said Kamara, Pollard, I think are going to be very popular. The guy I'm seeing right now projected to be the most popular is Brees Hall here at 5,900. We have not even mentioned this game and probably because it has a really gross total and doesn't seem like a game environment we would necessarily want to attack. But what are your thoughts on Brees Hall? Yeah, I mean, the the Giants are 28th in run defense DVOA. They're, they've allowed the second most rushing yards. I mean, that's 
it's pretty straightforward, right? Brees Hall is explosive. He's going to get touches. I, I mean, it feels a little bit trappy in that the Giants defense has been playing well the last couple of weeks. Uh, the Jets offense is not great. You know, point expectations are low. I don't typically place bets on overs and unders because it's a very efficient market. But this was one where it was like, oh, I'm, I'm betting the under on this one, one that stood out to me in terms of going to be difficult for these teams to rack up a lot of points. So yeah, Brees is one who was one of the first things that stood out to me when I opened up this slate. And then yet I can also see the paths to failure. So I'll probably be underweight the field on Brees Hall, but that's not to say that he's not a good play on paper. It's just to say that there's other good plays on paper too. And he's kind of one of the first people you notice. So I think that a lot of people will gravitate toward that play, but uh, no, like on paper, it's a super sharp play this week. Um, justifiable as kind of the highest owned guy because he's so low priced and, um, you know, should get those 16 to 20, 22 touches uh, against what has been a bad run defense this year. Yeah. And because of his price tag at 5,900, I do think people are going to gravitate to him over a couple guys that are priced just barely above him. Um, two names that have kind of jumped out to me and I'm curious your thoughts on both of them, Deandre Swift and Jonathan Taylor, any love for those two? Yeah, I mean, I know I don't go out of my way to attack the Saints defense. I don't go out of my way to attack the Saints run defense. The Saints are one of those teams that just don't give up a lot of big fantasy games. And yet, again, you know, does that matter for this Colts offense? It hasn't so far. Colts offensive line is like near the bottom of the league in adjusted line yards or near the bottom of the league in run offense DVOA. And yet Zach Moss has had these huge games. So, um, no, like on paper, typically I, like there are certain defenses that I filter out players against uh, and the saints are one of those defenses, but uh, Jonathan Taylor still kind of in the mix for me. Deandre Swift. I mean, we've talked on the show before about my feelings toward Deandre Swift uh, in terms of pre touchdown PPR points per game, uh, Deandre Swift 13.3. If we filter out those, those two big games in weeks two and three, if we keep those games in 15 pre touchdown PPR points per game, but even, even if we just take his last four and say, okay, this is probably his real baseline 13.3. Well, Saquon Barkley is at 13.3 on the season. Tony Pollard is at 13.2. Travis Etienne is at 13.4. So then the next argument would be, oh yeah, but maybe Swift can't get as many touchdowns. Uh, Swift has 12 carries inside the 10 yard line. Uh, Pollard has 17, but Saquon has only four. Etienne has only six. So Swift's touchdown upside is there. It's higher than Etienne's. And in, in terms of usage, higher than Etienne's and Saquon's. Uh, and he's priced still down here in the low 6Ks and people continue to kind of uh, overlook him. So no, I mean, Swift is kind of like, I'm on him every week until he hits that next 30 pointer and the price spikes and everybody starts paying attention. Uh, he's going to be central to my player pool sort of week in and week out, as long as it's not just an awful matchup. Yeah. Um, just like real quick on the DeAndre Swift stuff. Is he something you would use with Jalen Hurts blocks or in a pairing with A.J. Brown, or would you play him as a one-off if the passing game isn't getting there? Yeah, so there's been one time this year where Hurts plus A.J. Brown plus DeAndre Swift would have been useful. Uh, interestingly, let me see what this was. It was one, two, three, four, five games that they've basically hit like three X their combined salary. So in like cash games, you could just be like Hertz, Swift, AJ Brown, like you're probably going to stay on 150 point pace from those three players and then build around that. Uh, they've only kept you on that 200 point pace once this year. So a little bit harder for that 
because it's so expensive for that full block to do it. But um, I'm not totally averse to it. I'll, I'll maybe have a little bit of Hertz plus Swift plus a pass catcher, um, but primarily kind of Swift here, AJ Brown there. And it wouldn't surprise me if I have like 80% Swift plus AJ Brown combined in terms yeah. of like, you know, 35% AJ Brown and 45% DeAndre Swift for 40, 40, just because not, not to say that they're like the best plays at their positions, but concentrated offenses where you know that they're going to have a, they're highly unlikely to have a bad offensive game. And so both these guys will probably produce solid scores, even if they miss. And it's pretty good shot that one or the other hits a really nice score this week. Yeah. So I, I started this uh, segment by saying there was all of these running back plays. It actually seems like you have a pretty narrow pool, or at least you're going to be um, underweight. Some of the more popular plays, what I'm pulling out, you, you like CMC, you got some love for Damian Pierce. You like a little Deandre Swift. Are there any other guys um, that kind of stand out for me, for you from the rest of the pack? Yeah. Pacheco, the chiefs have talked this week about, you know, needing to continue to establish the run and really keep that going playing against a Denver deep team that, you know, that's makes sense to attack that way. Um, but John Robinson, it's, it's, I don't like the matchup. Um, the usage, I mean, this is where he should be priced basically. Um, you know, he's kind of this like 10 to 14 carry, but a nice number of targets type of running back. So um, yeah, I like Bajan Robinson. I can't cut him off my list. I uh, mentioned Ramondre, mentioned Damian Pierce. Um, Camara is interesting. I definitely will have plenty of Camara, but I'm going to be a little bit cautious on him. Dennis Allen was asked this week about Camara's workload and like how big it's been and how big it was this last week. And he said that Kendra Miller had a shoulder issue that they wanted to protect. And they had Jamal Williams on a snap count this last week. So that was his answer to uh, Camara's large workload last week was, okay, well, Jamal Williams is on a snap count and Kendra Miller, we wanted to protect his shoulder. Sure enough, you know, Kendra Miller had zero touches last week and Jamal Williams has limited snaps. So it won't be surprising if that workload's not quite the same this week, but if it's anywhere close, he's still dramatically underpriced. So, uh, yeah. And, and Pollard, it's like everything lines up on paper. Um, I just don't, I don't love this offense and I, and on, I don't love, I don't love the passing attack, obviously, but also like this runoff, the, the run blocking has been bad for this team. Uh, Pollard's not being used extensively in the passing attack. So um, I'm still kind of back and forth on Pollard in that he like, I'm always scared to not play Pollard. So yeah. um, and the fact that he's popular, like I like that because he doesn't stand out to me, but then it's also like, yeah, but he could go for 35 points. So uh, I don't want to talk any, Pollard's kind of in that bucket of, I may not play a ton of him, but I'm certainly not going to try to talk anyone off of him. Uh, so yeah, running back is, I guess would I'd say it's not like maybe as expansive to me as it might be to other people, but um, yeah, but yeah, you know, one more I want to hit on too, because um, Beastburf asking in the chat, what about Mostert? No one's talking about him. Well, the reason no one's talking about him is he hasn't gotten in a full practice yet. We'll see what happens. He didn't play or practice Wednesday, limited practice yesterday, has this ankle injury. Um, let's assume that Mostert is active. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, Mostert's on my list. So speaking of teams that I just kind of generally will cross players off of my um, – off of my list again, so let me find this whole list of who the Patriots have played this year. Okay, so ready for this. Patriots have played Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, Josh Allen, DeAndre Swift, Brees Hall, Tony Pollard, Alvin Kamara, Josh Jacobs, AJ Brown, Tyreek Hill, CD Lamb, Chris Olave, Devontae Adams, Stefan Diggs. Every single one of those players disappointed in terms of fantasy production 
this year. So the Patriots, similar to the Saints, just a team that's like, yeah, you can sometimes score points against the, against them, but they're not going to let just a ton of production concentrate on one player. Um, the only player who has produced a, a score that you would be happy with at the attached price tags on the Dolphins is Raheem Mostert, who put up, I think it was 28.7 against the Patriots in week two. So no, I think Mostert is interesting because he can score from anywhere on the field and he has such a, such large touchdown equity in this offense. Um, Patriots, it's like nine of the last 10 years, they've been top three in the NFL in preventing running back rushing touchdowns because analytics say it's much easier to score on the ground, like inside the five, inside the 10, than it is to score through the air. So the Patriots very much design their defense to force opponents to try to score through the air. I don't know how much that matters for Mostert in this Miami uh, rushing offense, but it is tough for running backs to score on the ground against New England. Uh, Mostert doesn't stand out, but it does stand out to me that he's going to be as low owned as he probably will be. Uh, I just think that the it's going to be harder than in a typical spot for him to put up like a 30 point game. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And we still have uh, questions about his health, too, I think is the other kind of big thing for me. Um, all right, let's move on to wide receiver here. Uh, again, pretty loaded this slate at the high end. You, of course, have you know guys like Tyree Kill, Jamar Chase, Cooper Cup, our cover boy, A.J. Brown. We do have a lot of value in the, the mid fives and high 4K as well. Um, let's start on the high end. Maybe I say we start with our, our cover boy here. Is AJ Brown kind of separating in that in that high end for you, or is it more just his price relative to the other elite options? Definitely not. Definitely not price relative. It's it's the matchup plus the usage. And mm -hmm. last year, the Philadelphia defense was so good that everyone misperceived Philadelphia as a run first offense. Philadelphia was a very aggressive offense early in games and then they would be up by so much that they would take the foot off the gas so it always kind of looked like they were this sort of run leaning offense and aj brown's targets were never totally guaranteed he was this volatile player but this year that hasn't been the case and a lot a lot of that's because teams are able to stay in games against philadelphia philadelphia stays aggressive deeper into games so you know when you look at aj brown's targets these last five games and it's uh 15 9 8 13 and 14 like that puts him up in that Jamar Chase, Tyree Kill usage range where it's consistent, it's consistent high targets, uh, five straight games of 125 plus receiving yards, tying Calvin Johnson's record. So yeah, with AJ Brown, it's like the usage is, the role is the same as these other high price guys and he's in the best matchup of the bunch. So um, he just stands out to me as the, the best play up here. But then, you know, really like Jamar Chase and Cooper Cup, Tyree Kill in that same bucket of like, I am not going to try to talk anyone off these guys. Yeah. Um, I won't be on Tyreek Hill myself. Uh, to me, worst case is he gets like the 30-pointer, 32, 35-pointer, right? That doesn't kill me for not having him at his price tag. Uh, it will be hard for him to get that like 45-pointer against this Patriots defense that, again, I just went through the list of who they've played and haven't given up any tournament-worthy scores. So, uh, yeah, so to me it's like A.J. Brown first, Jamar Chase second at the top, but then the other guys are kind of in that I won't try to talk you off of them bucket for me. Yeah, what about this mid-range? You know, you got guys like uh, Zay Flowers. We mentioned the Texans wide receivers. You got the Steelers wide receivers. You got Christian Kirk. You got Jordan Addison. Kinds of all, all types of plays. Marquise Brown, who basically lives in that mid-five range. Terry McLaurin. What are your thoughts on that kind of tier of plays? Yeah, and even, I mean, Calvin Ridley, who 
actually sets up really well against a Steelers team that is susceptible to big plays. Uh, T. Higgins, who had a you know the twenty-eight point nine pointer, and then a bad game, a game where he got hurt, a game he missed, and a game he played limited snaps. So people look through the game logs, and it's like, oh, three bad games in a row. But no, it was, it was one bad game, and then two games where he didn't play the whole game. So uh, yeah, there's just a lot to like down here. Really like George Pickett, like. Some of the most underpriced players on the slate are in this 5K range of wide receivers. Uh, Christian Kirk. Uh, well, actually, we can start with Adam Thielen. Uh, Adam Thielen's one of the most underpriced guys. Uh, Christian Kirk's one of the most underpriced guys. George Pickens, one of the most underpriced guys. Um, and then, you know, a lot of other guys who are a little bit underpriced and, and really attractive in this price range in T. Higgins and Calvin Ridley, uh, the, the Texans wide receivers, um, Zay Flowers, Terry McLaurin. So yeah, I mean this. I, I'm all over this kind of mid this mid range wide receiver pool, um, and yeah, you get down below it, right? You get to like Rasheed Rice is still attractive. Rasheed Rice is, I think it was like eighth in the NFL in yards per route run. Just the snaps aren't aren't there yet, but they keep going up. Uh, Rasheed Rice is interesting. Kendrick Bourne is interesting, and you kind of get below that, and you start getting into the dart throw type stuff. So yeah, I mean this this price range is really attractive, and I think that you know you could viably build all your rosters just centered around this price range and potentially find that that's the way to win this week. So uh, yeah, definitely like a lot of these guys in here. Uh, because the chat's talking about it relative to the AJ Brown cover boy, do you have any love for Devonte Smith in this same matchup? Yeah. I, I don't want to argue against Devonte Smith. You know, what's interesting to me is Devonte Smith, you can get 30 pointers. Okay. Like we've seen it this year. You get 30 pointers, across the price ranges. So Devontae Smith, if he gets you 26 to 30 points, oh, he was low owned. It literally doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he was low owned and got you 30 points because some high owned guy is getting you like, think about what I said with me having a bunch of Waller last week. It, it didn't end up mattering that I had low owned Waller because he posted the same score as Mark Andrews, who was high owned. Um, right. So if you got a bunch of guys in the five to six K range who score 30 points and are high owned and Devontae Smith scores 30 points at low ownership, it doesn't really matter. So you actually need Devonte Smith to have one of his 35 to 40 point games. Um, and the, like the risk with Devonte Smith is when he misses, you know, he doesn't, he's not a 10 to 12 target guy in this offense most of the time. So when he misses, he's getting you eight points, he's getting you 12 points, 13 points. So the downside is a lot lower. And if he gets you 25 to 30, that like, you're not going to complain about it, but it's like, you took on a lot of risk to get the same score you could have gotten elsewhere. It didn't actually set your roster apart. Um, so yeah, I mean, like can Devonte Smith go for 40 is the question that I want to ask here, because if I'm taking on the risk of, I mean, his last games, 8.9, 9.4, 1.6, 14.8, 6.8. Uh, if you're taking on that type of downside risk, then, you know, you need the upside for him to really separate on the slate. So yeah, that's how I break down a player like that is, uh, totally useful if he goes for 40 points, obviously, but that's really what you need to be thinking about is what's the story you're telling that this guy gets to 40 points and then build your roster accordingly. We didn't talk much about, you know, the, the Uber pump plays like sub 4k. Now, obviously a guy like, uh, you know, uh, Kendrick Bourne is now priced up out of that range. Do you have anything sub 4k? It looks like Michael Gallup is catching some interest right now. Anything else down there? If people are really trying to scrape the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. I like Michael Gallup. Uh, DJ shark is interesting. We talked about, you know, Hey, maybe Bryce young looks good in this spot. People want to bet on the Texans offense. 
so DJ Shark is interesting down there. Brandon Powell, uh, quick note on Brandon Powell. He's also the punt returner for the Vikings. So if you're playing Vikings defense on some of your, your rosters, if you're playing Brandon Powell on some of your rosters, uh, go ahead and make sure you put them together on a few, just on the off chance he returns a punt for a touchdown, double up on those points. Uh, Noah Brown, who yeah. before the Robert Woods news, it was like, can we play Tank Dell? He's been the better receiver, but do the Texans see it that way? Is Noah Brown still the number three on this? And then like now Robert Woods is out and everyone's like, cool, Tank Dell, Nico Collins, but Noah Brown's going to be out. Like Noah Brown projects for four to six targets. Tank and Nico project, project for four to seven targets. So uh, Noah Brown at 3K, another guy. Um, you know, nothing stands out down there, but there's definitely pieces down there. Yeah, well, I think here we're going to transition and start getting these ideas on their feet with a lineup build here. Also want to mention for those of you who are YouTube members or thinking about becoming YouTube members, if you become a hand builder and opto bro, that will unlock a few different things. You'll get two extra premium shows a week, DFS After Dark that I do on Saturday nights. It's a half interview, half DFS lineup build. My guest this week is Mike Leone. Always a fun time catching up with him. And then you get the Sunday AM GPP cram. So we go over all all the overnight news, all of the latest projections, and uh, we do some drafts, we build pickums, and just get all prepared for the slate from a GPP angle before things lock. And on top of that, you get access to the Discord as well. We have a private channel in there. We cram for all of the showdown slates as well. I share some of the optimals and the leverage plays from, from Run the Sims. So all kinds of good stuff if you want to become a YouTube member. But JM, it's time for us to do what the people love and build a lineup. And as always, uh, a couple of uh, important reminders uh, here. The Deposit Kingdom Weekly League, it's a rake-free $10 single entry 420. tournament. 420. We did it. We did we 420 did this week. Hella chill. Super stoked. Get baked. Make a single entry lineup for the Deposit Kingdom Weekly League. You can find this link in the announcements channel of the Deposit Kingdom Discord. I have that link down below. Hop in there. That's the only place you can get the link. I don't put it anywhere else. Not in newsletters. Not on Twitter. Nowhere else. It's just exclusively in the Discord. 334 entries right now. So this will probably fill uh, at this pace by, by Saturday morning. So make sure you get in there before it fills. And then my other thing, Jam, always got to give this caveat. We are building this at Friday at 2.50 p.m. Eastern time. A lot is going to change between now and when the slate locks. This is meant to be a practice build. You know, when they say you were going through an experimental phase in college, we might experiment with a Desmond Ritter build today. It doesn't mean that's necessarily what we're rolling out Sunday at lock. So use this for idea generation, for seeing how these pieces come together, and, of course, gleaning what Jam is liking at this point in time. I think I've done all, all the uh, necessary all the here. We're good. All the disclaimers. Well, it's like you get people being like, I played this lineup, but it didn't cash. And it's like, well, don't roll out a lineup uh, that we made on stream on a Friday. Don't roll out a lineup that somebody else built. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, JM, uh, I have, as always, I, you know, we've, we've talked throughout the show, so I have a little bit better idea of where you want to go here, but um, kick us off with a building block. Yeah, so I did. I was tempted to do Ritter again, but that just seemed like, we had the Ritter week, right? So we've talked about Ritter. I like Ritter this week. Um, what I want to do is a Sam Darnold build because I think that that's okay. kind of, a, you know, obviously a critical decision point this week. But I want to go Darnold. 
Uh, Darnold plus, we're not going to do this, but Darnold plus Christian McCaffrey is interesting uh, because, again, Christian McCaffrey is so involved in the passing attack. But Darnold's coming in at like 10% projected ownership right now. George Kittle's coming in at 5% projected ownership, which tells me we'll see a lot more Darnold plus CMC, Darnold plus Ayuk. Uh, so I want to go with a Darnold, Kittle, and T. Higgins bring back uh, as our That's building fine. block on this. So what we end up with then is basically placing the same bet that everybody else is placing – uh, that Darnold ends up having a good enough game that he's useful at this price tag. And uh, we should have a 49er uh, uh, Bengals bring back wide receiver, but most people will have that Jamar chase bring back if they get there as opposed to T Higgins. So uh, still betting on this the same way. Kittle can score 30 plus Higgins can score 26, 27 plus uh, Darnold can score 22 to 25 plus. So uh, really nice starting point and sets our roster apart to where we have this low owned block instead of just doing what everybody else is doing. Yeah, the Kittle one is is fascinating, right? I mean, it's I, I guess last week he's had he's had a few of these scores that like don't fully sink your lineup, but I mean the week five, week six juxtaposition here is like the George Kittle experience, right? Yeah. Like it's two points or you're getting 28, and he is the smash of all smashes. So it's definitely a play you have to have the stomach for, but we've seen his splits without Debo be very good. And do you think Darnold? Um, is there anything there with kind of his uh, affinity for throwing to the tight end that's that's factoring in to this no week. i mean i hadn't thought much about that but in terms of th what the Bengals do right the Bengals are so good at taking away alpha options and Ayuk is that alpha option and kittle you know we talk about it's always scary to play kittle because uh that that large spread between what his points can do but again his three bad games since the start of 21 2021 his three bad games without debo were still 12 plus points so at his price tag, at his position, that's not going to kill your roster. Uh, and then again, half of his games have been 25 to 42 points without Debo. So um, yeah, it just makes a lot of sense here. Not, not the type of matchup where you would expect Kittle to have to be in helping with the blocking a ton, right? Because uh, yeah, the Bengals have a solid defensive line, but they're not sending a bunch of extra blitzers and they don't have like a Miles Garrett or a Nick Bosa type player where you really have to go out of your way to account for Sam Hubbard and be like, oh, we've got to keep Kittle in the block. Uh, and stop Sam Hubbard. So uh, yeah, just a lot of opportunity for upside on Kittle and low owned Kittle with no Debo. I always like taking advantage of that. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I like this setup. And and like you said, Darnold's going to be popular, but I think this pairing with him, Higgins and Kittle is, is going to be very uh, rare like that. Um, what's the next direction? Do we get the cover boy in here? Hey, why not? Let's uh, one of the things I like about this setup is that we'll be able to fit in probably three high price guys if we want or if we don't want to take, you know, you take like the, the Noah Brown or the Brandon Powell that unlocks the three high priced guys, or you can go like AJ Brown and then sort of mid tier across the board from there. So uh, yeah, AJ Brown, let's throw him in and that will take DeAndre Swift off of our list for this roster. But uh, that either or of Eagles pieces is something I like. Um, you know what I kind of like to do here is we can play around. There's obviously like some salary stuff we can play around with, but I'd kind of like to get over to this Jags and Steelers game. Okay. And um, we don't have to go off the board because we have Darnold Higgins Kittle, but I actually prefer Calvin Ridley this week to Christian Kirk. And obviously he's going to get lower ownership. I actually prefer George Pickens to Deontay Johnson. And what I'm seeing right now is Deontay Johnson getting higher projected ownership. Uh, so that kind of allows us to any of those spots where I can play, the play I like more and it's lower owned. I like to take advantage of that. So uh, we could throw a Ridley and Pickens uh, pairing in here. It correlates well. 
Uh, Steelers like to throw the ball under 30 times if they can, but if the Jags are jumping out to a lead, if Ridley's hitting for big plays, um, then that helps George Pickens. In interesting um, stat I came across this week, seven of the Jags' 17 offensive touchdowns have come from outside the red zone. Uh, to put that in context, all 19 of the Ravens' offensive touchdowns have come in the red zone. So unusual for a team to score seven out of 17 touchdowns from outside the red zone. Uh, of note, because the Steelers don't tend to let teams into the red zone. Uh, Steelers have only allowed eight red zone touchdowns this year, but then four touchdowns from outside the red zone. They've been susceptible to big plays. So uh, sets up nicely for the Jags to maybe hit some big plays, and then the Steelers have to get more aggressive with George Pickens. Follow up on the Calvin Ridley stuff. It's it's been really interesting. You know, people were very upset after that. What was it? The Thursday night game against the Saints uh, didn't play too well. And then I saw like everyone on Twitter being like, Calvin Ridley splits when Zay Jones is in the lineup are actually better. And so this is actually good. Zay Jones is coming back. I saw everyone talk themselves into that, but now Zay Jones isn't playing uh, again. So it, does Zay Jones factor into your your Calvin he Ridley? He doesn't factor into my thinking here. No, I mean we're talking like the tiniest sample sizes and yeah. uh, to, to me that's not something that so much as like the the matchup factors right where you've got Ridley with an eight out of 12.9 Christian Kirk with an eight out of 8.1 well you know those games where you can just keep feeding Kirk the short area throws uh makes sense to do that right but this is the type of spot you can attack the Steelers downfield more they get hit for some more big plays so uh sets up well as a game where Ridley can hit look we're not we're not necessarily reading a crystal ball. So part of what we're wanting to do is just getting get a sense of where the research points, but then also where the strategy can point us. So to me, like Kirk is a really strong play this week. Um, I'm not against Deontay Johnson, but on paper, when I look at these spots, it's like, okay, if we play out this slate a hundred times, who's going to hit a 30 pointer more often? Calvin Ridley over Christian Kirk. Um, who's going to hit a 25 to 30 pointer more often? George Pickens over Deontay Johnson. And so having that, where we can look at the research and say, okay, this is a slightly better play from a tournament winning perspective. And then it's going to be lower owned. Like I like to take advantage of those levers that are already being pulled for us. Yeah. And only one uh, note on the Steelers wide receivers. It did seem like it was trending that way for Deontay being more popular, but then when he popped up late on the injury report, I do wonder if that actually ends up flipping Flipping, by, yeah. uh, flipping, flipping by the end of the week, whereas people are going to feel just better about Pickens being healthy. He's been balling out. But again, on a roster like this, I'm really not concerned about the ownership, but I wouldn't surprise be surprised to see Pickens more popular when it's all said and done. Yeah, that's a good point too. Like We don't have to worry too much about the ownership here. If Pickens is lower owned, great. If he's not, also totally fine. Doesn't really impact because of like how different this build is going to be from what the field is doing. So... It, we're definitely going to have to play one cheap running back, and then depending on what we do with defense, we'll kind of let us know what we're doing with the second running back position. Do we got to get Damian Pearson here? Well, let's go ahead and, if you're good with it, let's throw in a defense and yeah. get a sense of like what our salary looks like. Uh, you have any cheap defenses that you are partial toward this week? Yeah, I mean, the ones that kind of stood out to me, at least that were cheap, would be either the Vikings or Packers. You know, Vikings at 2,500. Jordan Love has been uh, pretty turnover prone there. Um, I don't mind the Bengals, but obviously not in Sam Darnold lineups. Um, yeah, anything else stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, the Jags, but we've got, we've got a Pittsburgh piece on this one. Atlanta at 2,900. 
against Will Levis and Malik yeah. Willis, um, the, the champion pairing of those two quarterbacks. Uh, yeah, let's go with the um, let's start with the Vikings, and we can uh, move up to because I think the Falcons will maybe be maybe they won't be a little a little less popular. Maybe they'll be more popular. But um, yeah, we have the salary to move up if we want to, and this does free us up to get yeah. Damian Pierce. Uh, and we're going to be, I think, a hundred shy of what we would need for Alvin Kamara. Uh, isn't oh. Kamara seventy-three? Um, yeah. So yeah, in a spot like this, there's a lot of like a lot of this is central thesis type stuff that we can't really break what we're doing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So let's go with let's go with um, a couple of these mid range guys and honestly let's go with um john pacheco and we yeah. got the salary for we're 100 shy of jonathan taylor as well uh, um, no, no no we got jonathan taylor 62 we got oh, 62. there we go i was thinking 65 yeah. so yeah we can do that and actually um you know we're we're one of the things that i like to do is a guy like jonathan taylor right he's going to be popular i'm not necessarily on him but then a roster like this where I'm on so many pieces that it's like I'm betting on the same games as everybody else, the same setups as everybody else, but with leverage, right? So I'm taking away points from what everybody else is betting on. So then if the salary works out like this, I can say, let me just ride the chalk on Jonathan Taylor because there's going to be pieces I'm wrong on. And so I want to make sure that I have exposure to those pieces I could be wrong on. And the types of rosters where, where I want to have exposure is where I'm kind of betting on the same games as everybody else, but in a different way. Uh, so this allows us to say, look, yeah, we think Sam, Sam Darnold's a good play. Uh, but Darnold plus Kittle plus T Higgins instead. Uh, we think that this Steelers and Jag setup is interesting, but we're going to have Calvin Ridley instead of Christian Kirk. Uh, and then now we just kind of ride the chalk with Jonathan Taylor so that if he hits, we're still right there with the field on this. Yeah, I like that. And I don't, I don't even get the vibe that JT is going to be overwhelmingly popular. I mean, I think he'll be like a top 10, you know, back okay. on the week as far as exposure, but I don't think he's going to be top five. And even based on where he's going in these underdog drafts, I mean, he's, he's kind of an afterthought. Um, you can get him basically in third or fourth round of most drafts. So I, I think he might fly under the radar still a little bit here for one more week. Yeah. He's one of those guys I was asking myself earlier in the week, like if this had been two years ago, and his price tag were this because of the matchup. Like, wouldn't you still play him? You know? And so yeah. uh, the matchup's not great, but also he's Jonathan Taylor. He's 6,200. So that's pretty attractive. Yeah. No one wanted to play him last week uh, versus the Browns. Cause they said the matchup wasn't good. Now people will say, you know, it's not good here, but the thing that I like hanging my hat on is one, they're using him a bunch in the passing game, which I think gives him more outs. And two, he's just really, really explosive and capable of big plays. So I like that you have multiple outs there. And then any extra work he gets on the ground, that's just a, a bonus. And to me, I think I was kind of surprised. He's actually cheaper than he was last week. He was 6,500, I want to say, last week. Um, and now his role is growing here. So I don't think much has changed. And if the ownership isn't going to catch up, I, I do really like Jonathan Taylor as a tournament play this week. Um. All right, JM, we did it. We uh, we walked through the slate. We built a lineup here. I'm going to be heading over to the Underdog Daily channel immediately following this show to talk with the Badge Bros about this entire Week 8 slate from an Underdog drafting perspective. So join us over there immediately following this. JM, anything else uh, for you here before we get uh, – before we get out of here. Yeah. Sorry. We let you guys down with the costumes, uh, slipped I my know. mind. I just threw in my yoga pants. Wasn't thinking, but, uh, yeah. maybe, maybe like a mid mid November pod, we'll throw on some costumes just to throw you guys off. Uh, but thanks for hanging out. 
Pete, thanks for hanging out. Glad we got to do this as always. Yeah. And I, you know, I forgot to, you know, I always mention it uh, before pizza night goes live. That's when JM's player grid is populated within the scroll. So, you know, the building blocks that we worked with today, you'll normally see one of those pop up. Are, are you going to get a, is it Darnold Higgins? Uh, is that going to be a building block in the scroll? Yeah. Darnold Higgins and Kittle will be in there. Uh, and we'll have, I've got some other ones in there as well. Some, uh, some fun building blocks for this week. There you go. So that's part of it. The the concept of the building blocks. I really like how JM lays it out because you get the building blocks, you get the player grid, and also kind of his thoughts on the blue chip plays as well. It's just a really comprehensive way to see the slate from different angles. And then you use those blocks, you use those pieces and put it together in a way that makes sense to you or plays to your strengths. That's how I do it each week and really enjoy reading that. So make sure you guys are checking out one week season. As I mentioned before, you can get 40% off now, 40% off with Pete 40. That's all of the inner circle and OWS DFS subs. I saw someone in the chat saying they were maybe having an issue with the promo code. Feel free to DM me or JM. We'll get you guys squared away over there. I am headed over to chop it up with the badge bros. Thanks again to JM. Thanks again to all of you guys hanging out in the chat. We'll see you next week uh, and hopefully with all of us at the top of the leaderboard.